But I believe that um, there is something for us today uh, in the scripture. Um, probably you're expecting to hear a resurrection message about Jesus Christ, because this is resurrection day, isn't it? So you, you're, you expect that. And I have turned things around a little bit. Uh, I hope that you will appreciate that. Um, Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you will minister to us tonight, today, Lord, and that you will speak to our hearts. As Bethany said, that the seed will be planted, that we will be able to leave this room today or this virtual room for those who are following through um, through Zoom and, and the website and YouTube. Lord, we pray that you will be with us today, that we will, as I said earlier, as we will leave this place, Lord, with a fresh understanding of who you are and your plan for our lives. Lord, we love you. We need you this morning. And we thank you that you died and that you rose again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I will ask Dave to help me today. We got, as you know, um, we have three, three, he's hiding. Um, we have three, three points, message, okay, simple. But we have three stories. Because although you're expecting, you know, the story of Jesus being uh, rose again, um, there were actually th three miracles that Jesus did in his life, raising people from the dead. And that's what I want to talk to you today to help us understand why did Jesus rose from the dead himself? So I will ask Dave to help me because he got the microphone, don't you, Dave? He got the power. Um, and uh, I will ask um, three volunteers um, that I will appoint with my finger no, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, to help me uh, read these stories, okay? Some of them are, are um, a bit longer because there's a story in the middle, so we have cut that story in the middle. And we will focus on the main points of our story. And that you will help me to save my voice. Would that be okay? Um, so I would like to share these three stories and see what the Lord got in store for us. Amen? So um, the first volunteer, um, it would be Neil. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting him on the spot. <laughs> and, and he, ha he hates, he hates to... I, I will help you with that. Don't you worry. The text will be here. Um, uh, you know, he doesn't like to do this, uh, especially on the spot, but I know he loves his pastor and he wants to help me. <laughs> Amen. That's the guilt trip there. Uh, so I will ask uh, Neil with his lovely, lovely manly voice to, um, to read for us Luke chapter 8. And Chema got everything here for you, Neil. So you just have to read the text. Uh, we, wouldn't, we will be reading from the New Living Translation. And we will be um, reading chapter 8, verses 40 to 44. And then we will jump to verse 49 to verse 56. And we will have our English representation. Then I want a Scottish. Do we have a Welsh here? Mm, I think we do. And our Northern Ireland are in Zoom, both of them, cheeky boys and girl. Okay, Neil, whenever you're ready, sir. Thank you. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, 
a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. The woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what happened. Thank you so much, Neil. Coffee is on me tomorrow. Um, wonderful story, isn't it? And the first point I want to talk to you about, the importance of Jesus resurrecting from the dead, is vision. Can you imagine Jairus, you know, Every father here will know, you know, how, how, how we feel when our, our little ones get poorly. Poorly at the point of death. Maybe some of us have not gone through that, but that must be a horrible feeling. And in his desperation, this leader of a synagogue, he runs and tries to find Jesus, the only one that could really heal her. Healing was what he had in mind. Healing. Because she was still alive. They come to Jesus, and Jesus is doing some ministry. I believe on the way. That's when the woman with the blood issue comes and, and reaches Jesus' um, garments and, and the whole story. So he's a bit delayed, and when he's, Jesus is still talking to her, a messenger from Jairus' house comes and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. That's a, we do that with the Lord sometimes, isn't it? Mm, it's too late. And this is the message today. It's never too late for God. It is late for us, but it's never too late for Him. And the first thing that God does through His resurrection, and particularly in this particular story, is that He has come to restore our vision. Can you imagine the vision of Jairus, you know, when that only daughter was born and he could imagine in his head um, what it would be one day when she started walking and saying the first words, Dada, well, in Hebrew, Abba, and she would be running around, becoming a beautiful, a beautiful lady, getting married one day. 
having children, all, all of those things. And then all of a sudden, in that quick illness, and in that quick moment between him coming to Jesus and the messenger arriving, all that vision is shut. There's no hope. There's no future. Everything that he was waiting for became a massive disappointment. And not only that, he thought that Jesus has the power to heal her, but now she's dead. It is too late. But I believe God is saying to us today, it's never too late for me. It's never too late for God. Quoting, talking through Gandalf, he says, a wizard always arrives precisely when he means to. Right? You remember that story? It's never early, never late. You see, with God, God has his own timing. You know, we wear this thing as decoration, especially in the south of Spain. It's always tomorrow, mañana. But God has his own timing. And the amazing thing for us is that we have to learn how to time ourselves with God. That's why he taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we start asking God for basic needs, for our, our bread, our, for God to supply our needs, for God to help us to forgive those who do things against us, and for the Lord to deliver us from temptation. You know, when we pray, we are aligning ourselves with God. We are not asking God, like Watchman Nee would say, we don't pray to the God of our room, the God of our circumstances. When we pray, we jump into God's throne room. And we are facing him and we are asking him to take over. Amen? Well, that's what Jairus wanted to do. He wanted to come and, and meet Jesus and say, Jesus, please come, hurry up. My daughter is very ill. But in that moment when he's just there, just there, he's just with him. He agrees to come. They're walking. This woman comes. Jesus stopped to do some ministry. And yes, they were so close, weren't they? And then the messenger comes as he's basically dismissing the woman. And she's gone. And everything is shut. Can you imagine what went through Jairus' heart? And the people that loved him and knew him and were around him. Everyone was shocked. And their friends and leaders... Religious leaders, they said, well, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother the rabbi anymore. You know, anything that could have happened will not happen. And then Jesus says, wait a minute, who says that? Who says so? I have the last word. And this is what I want to encourage you today. Jesus has always the last word. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He was the word at the beginning. We have sung that today. And he will be the, he's also the eternal word of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Jesus says, don't you worry, Lazarus. Sorry, I'm jumping to the next story. Don't worry, Jairus. <coughs> Hallelujah. Don't worry. <clears throat> she's not dead. She's just sleeping. <clears throat> and people laugh of, of Jesus. I mean, what is it about us? You know, that we are asking the only one that has the answer to come and do something for us. But then when he has his own agenda, which is different to our agenda, we just laugh of him. And then the Lord just 
came to the house, took the father and the mother with the top three, the closest three disciples, Peter, John, and James, and spoke this word in Hebrew, of course, or Aramaic, which was colloquial Hebrew. And that girl, about 12 years of age, stood up, and he says, give her something to eat. She must be starving now. The vision was restored. Will my daughter get married? Will my daughter have children? Will she have her own family? How beautiful will she be? Will she take care of me when I'm a bit older? All that vision was all of a sudden restored. For Jesus has the power to bring life. He's the resurrection and the life. And everyone was in awe and shocked for what he could do. He has the last word. He's not the doctor. He's not the lawyer. He's Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's go to our second story. The second story is, in, is also in Luke chapter 7. Let me see a good Scottish accent here. Um, hmm. Mick, can you help me? Dave, help me start with that. Thank you for volunteering. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read. This is a bit short, Mick, just for you. From verse 11 to verse 17. Okay? Let's go. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Coffee's on me on Tuesday. The next thing that the Lord Jesus wants to do is to restore our future. Again, we have a, a very difficult sto story here. A widow. That's a woman that lost her husband. Right? In those days, there were no social services. You know, if, 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 you, if your family couldn't sustain you, you have to basically beg. She lost her husband. She has no income. We don't know exactly how the age of this boy, but that was her future. If he could already work with his hands and bring some money to the house, that would be fantastic. But sometimes, you know, our future changes. We receive some bad news. Our, the income that we were expecting or the resources that were supposed to be there, all of a sudden are not there anymore. And we get in trouble because we start shaking and we start doubting. 
You know, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's actually when we lose perspective of those hope and future that we start getting sad and depressed and, and confused. Sometimes even if we know it here, I know that God has plans for me, good plans, and he has a, a hope and a future. But when I don't embrace it here, that's when I start allowing those sad feelings to come in, isn't it? And we all go through that. You know, we all go through sadness and, and, and issues in our own lives. And some of us experience depression and grief. That woman is, we don't know how old or, or how long her husband has, has been dead. And she has this amazing future. Like Jairus, probably. My boy becoming a, a good man. A good citizen, hardworking, that could take care of, my, of his old mother. That one day he will marry. That one day I will be part of a bigger, an extension of this family. There was a future. Yeah, I lost my husband. That's very sad, but there's a future. But now he's dead. And he's dead, and we don't know for how long. But they're, they're, you know, they're in the processional. They're not asking for Jesus. Jesus is just walking by. And I love this. Jesus' heart was moved to compassion. No one asked him anything, but he was moved with compassion. Sometimes we feel like we have to ask God for things, otherwise he will not do it. It's like he, would, he, he doesn't want to do things unless we ask him. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We have to be very good. <laughs> we have to be very, very good if, if he will ever, you know, do things for us. We, we feel sometimes, you know, I don't deserve this. And so many times we feel like Jesus is, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I could do it. But, you know, until you ask and you ask nicely or you ask many times, that's not who God is. He's a good, good father. He, he wants to give us good things. He says that he knows the things that we have need of before if we even ask. And he's just passing by and he knew that old lady or that widow. We don't know how old she was really. We'd, he knew her heart. Maybe she never heard of the Messiah, or maybe she heard, but her grief was so strong that she couldn't even dare to, you know, trying to find that Messiah herself. But Jesus was passing by. And Jesus is passing by today. And then all of a sudden, he comes, he stopped the procession. You know, Jesus was wearing this rabbi clothing, and people had this. He has this external authority also, not only the internal authority. People saw that. And he says, you know, he went. And again, you know, people doubting, mocking, you know, what are you, what are you doing? That doesn't happen. You are over spiritual. Have you ever been called that? Don't pray about those things. Those things don't happen. They don't happen until they happen. And then Jesus raised, raised the boy. And future, just like that, is restored again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is what God wants to share with us today. That he rose again so he can show us the way home. He rose again so we can understand that he's not done with us. He rose again so there is joy 
and future. There is vision and future in him. Amen? Are you still with me? I don't have my time today, Chema, but I'm, I'm doing very, I'm pretty sure I'm doing very well. <laughs> no, don't worry, mate, I got, I got the watch. Um, the third story, okay, are you with me? Shall we do the third story? Uh, John, you're not Welsh, but you've been in Wales for a while, so um, let's go to John. So let's go to John, John, I cannot make these things up. John 11, John chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, that will be the introduction, okay? And then we will jump to verse 17, all the way to 44. This is a, a lovely story. Um, it's Lazarus' story, okay? John 11, 1 to 4, and then we jump all the way from 17 to 44. Whenever you're ready, sir, thank you. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany and with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it has happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he, uh, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mar Martha got a word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will, be, will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside for the, uh, for the, from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus has stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived, they saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, 
a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as they arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead men came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in the headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There's so much in this story, isn't it? So much in this story. Number one, Lazarus was his friend. So he, Jesus was emotionally attached to this particular family. We've seen Jesus ministering to them quite a bit in the, in the past. And then this time, someone comes and says, Lord, you know, Lazarus is, is, is very sick. He's basically dying. Probably when the, when the people uh, that gave that uh, information arrived to Jesus, probably Lazarus has already died. And then Jesus decided to stay a bit longer, a couple of days more where he was. Just wasting time. Wasting time. Hmm. He was waiting for his time. Like he told his mother, remember his mother, the first miracle, water turned into wine. Woman, do you have against my time has not yet come. <laughs> right? He's waiting for his time. And in this particular story, Jesus is waiting. Jesus is waiting because he knew what the people will think. And he knew that this was an important lesson they have to learn. And after those two days, he wakes up one day and says, okay, guys, let's go now. So they have to go all the way to Bethany. And uh, when, he's when he's approaching the city, Martha, the doer of the family, remember, Martha, Martha, you're, you know, to stress out. He's a, she's the doer. Mary was the one the, that loves to dwell in the house. But Martha is so worried that she runs and she meets Jesus. Lord, why haven't, haven't you come? Yes, I sent messengers to you earlier. And if you would be here, my brother will not have died. You see again? Her own expectations of what Jesus could do. If only you would be here. And then Jesus says this amazing passage that we read before. This wonderful uh, statement. I am the resurrection and, and the life. Martha. Do you believe this? And I love Martha because she was smart. She was able to answer the questions that Jesus was not asking. 
Do you believe this? That was the question. And she says, I believe that you are the son of God. You remember my last sermon about women? Right? A few weeks ago. Remember that. That extra sense. She understood exactly what he meant, although it was different from the words that were coming from his mouth. I know that you are the son of God, and I know that you are the Messiah. Well, your brother will be raised from the dead. I know, Lord. I know my, I have done my homework. Everyone will rise from the dead, those who believe you in the last day. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Now, when Martha leaves, Jesus stays there. He stays outside the city. He's not even coming yet. <coughs> so Martha goes back to the house, and Mary is sitting down again with those who are mourning. You know, they will hire people to cry for the dead person because that was part of the tradition. So all these people, a bunch of liars, just crying there for a few coins. And, and Mary there in the middle of them, in the midst of them. And then Martha comes and says, the teacher is outside. He's asking for you. So Mary stands up and runs. And everyone runs after her. You know, where, what happened to her? Where is she going? Is she going to the tomb? And then she runs and she comes to Jesus. And she said the same thing. Lord, if you would be here, if you have been here, everything will be fine and my brother will not have died. The same thing. And then Jesus gets angry. The New Living Translation says, which basically means he got angry in his spirit. Now, I'm very curious about this. You know, we're talking about the Mediterranean man. Okay. You know, Jesus. I understand a little bit of that. You know, very passionate. And he gets angry in his spirit. The author, John. How did John know that? How can you get angry or agitated in your spirit and he knew it? Because probably he saw it in his face. And he gets angry with probably, I'm guessing here, the consequences of sin and death. What death can cause in the life of human beings. We have not been created to die, you see. We have been created for eternity. We don't know how to cope with death. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in our heads. We, we think that we will live forever because we will live forever. And we don't know how to handle death. We don't, we, don't, we, we don't know it. I come from a country, Spain. They don't have a clue how to deal with death. Someone dies and in 24 hours that person has to be in the grave. We, we deal with that quickly. It's a shame, really. But that shows, you know, how people and cultures, we, we don't know how to deal with death. And everyone has a, a different way to, to deal with, with grief, of course. But you see, the problem that Jesus is facing here is lack of faith. People believing and having faith in what Jesus could do according to their own understanding. If you will be here, Lord, if you would have been here, the second woman said, where have you put him? Probably in the tone, even in the way he asked the question, John says, oh, he's mad. Where have you put him? And then they show him where Lazarus' tomb was. You know? And then all these higher women who were crying, they start talking in the side. 
I heard this guy heal a blind man. A blind man. I mean, he was blind. He was blind. Couldn't he come and care for his friend with a flu, whatever it was, and heal him? He wasn't blind. He wasn't that serious, wasn't it? Couldn't he be here and do at least that? The third expectation. And Jesus comes to the tomb, hearing all this in the background, and he says, open the tomb. Martha, very quickly, you know, the one who, who liked to keep things under control. And, you know, she was probably British, okay? Let's keep things, <laughs> let's keep things, you know, properly, okay? That's going too far, Jesus. He says, Lord, she, he's been dead four days already. Now, this is a very important thing because there was a Jewish superstition in that time that when someone died, the spirit was still around for three days. That's why Jesus rose at the third day when there was no hope for the spirit to come back. You see? And in this case, Lazarus was dead for four days. So there's no hope for the spirit. The spirit is gone to Sheol or Hades or whatever. Abraham's bosom, whatever you want to put it, heaven. He's gone four days already. And Jesus, which previously in his anger wept, is the shortest passage in the whole Bible in English. Not in the Greek. The shortest passage is only nine words. Nine words in the Greek and the shortest is only eight. And he's rejoicing the Lord always. That's even shorter than Jesus wept. In the original, not in, the, in English. In English is Jesus wept. Probably in most of uh, modern languages, Spanish also, Jesus wept. And in his emotional confusion, you, you know what Jesus was going through? Is his friend, he's dead, and everyone is suffering there because he intended for that to happen. He stayed for two more days. And he's coming, and he sees the suffering, and he's angry in his spirit. He's not angry against people. He's angry in his spirit for the situation. His friend is dead. People are suffering. People are struggling. Oh, my voice is coming up. I feel like Pentecostal again. They're struggling for what's going on, and Jesus is angry, and he goes there, and he weeps. And now he's angry again. And then he gives a command. And then he shouts. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And the mommy comes out. Isn't it? He got, he got all these things in his head, the Bible says, you know, and in his, in his, in his body. <laughs> so what kind of a restoration is this? We saw it. First story is a, restor a restoration of our vision. Jairus' daughter. The second story is a restoration of our future, the widow's son. And Jesus raising Lazarus is a restoration of our faith. The faith of Mary, the faith of Martha, the faith of everyone who was there. Because Jesus prayed and he prayed to the Lord and says, Lord, I prayed, not between us. I know that you already gave me the miracle. I was praying for all these people that they will know that you have sent me. And that was the topic of the Gospel of John. The seven, not seven miracles, seven signs 
that he was sent by God. Lord, I did that so they will know that you are. Because the problem was, and this is something important for you and for me. And if you forget everything I say today, remember what I'm going to say now. These people have faith in what Jesus had done before. He healed a blind man, so he can do that. Now, another notch. We don't know about that. Very analytical, isn't it? Very Jewish, very European, very Western. We think the same. Oh, it's okay. He has done that. We've seen that. He can prove, he proved that. But what about the other notch? I mean, healing a blind man, that's great. But raising someone from the dead? This is what I want you to remember. Faith is not based on answered prayers in the past, but on believing the already proclaimed promises. I will say that again. That's good. Faith is not based on answered prayer. Sometimes we base our faith according to our experience with God. I believe He's good because He's done good things for me. But He's not good because He's done things for you. He's good because He's good, whether He does it or not. And the amazing thing about the story is that God is restoring our faith by doing something that people were not expecting. And that's why he has to stay two days so the story will happen. So he can come and do the punchline and say, I am over this. I am above this. I am God. I am the resurrection and the life. I have come to give life. And your faith should not be based on what you see in God's channel. Or the experience that you had in your previous church. Your faith should be based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that everything he says is truth. And that everything he says he will accomplish, it will be accomplished. That is what faith is, isn't it? The New Living Translation says faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is not based in our experience. Faith goes against our experience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe he did this for a reason. You know, number three again, three stories in his own ministry. And then he himself raising from the dead. The disciples didn't understand his, you know, what happened with him. I mean, three times the Lord did this miracle. And when Jesus died, they were so disappointed. They went back fishing. Peter and Andrew, his brother, and uh, John and James, the fishermen, the four out of the 12, four were fishermen. They went back fishing. And the tax collector says, oh, uh, can you show me off to fish too? And the Simon, the terrorist, the zealot, says, oh, you know, I think I should better quit my old job of killing Romans. Show me how to fish. Let's go. Let's all go fishing. And Jesus is like, <laughs> and he comes from the dead. And he says, oh, you want, to, you want to go fishing? Okay, let me just prepare some fire here so we can have some breakfast and some fishing barbecue here. So I can meet you where you are. Then it's when Jesus took Peter and, and 
Ask him three times, do you love me? And then obviously, John following. And, oh yes, Lord, I love you three times. Some people said that the reason why Peter denied Jesus in the first place is because Jesus previously healed his mother-in-law. We don't know about that. I'm just pulling your leg. But again, Jesus had to restore the vision. Even Peter had taken off his clothes. He was fishing. He was in his shorts. And when he saw the master, someone says, that's Jesus on the shore. He took his garment on and jumped on the water. I mean, if you go on holidays to Spain, you don't get clothes to jump in the water, do you? You take your clothes off and you jump on the water. But Peter understood I'm wearing my old clothes. I'm wearing my fisher, fisherman clothes. And in that robe, that robe represents my calling. So he put his calling back and jumped to meet Jesus. Everyone else, you know, came later with the boats. With the boats. And, uh, and Jesus had this wonderful talk with them. They, they, didn't, they did not understand that Jesus had the power to to come back from dead, from the dead. <laughs> They've seen him doing the miracle three times, but they probably assume he will not be able to do that on himself. You see, it's always our expectation. It's always what we think that God can do or what he would do. But God is above everything. He's the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ has come to restore our vision. Our vision of him, our vision of ourselves, our, our cosmovision, our vision of the world. Don't you find sometimes yourself a little bit unfocused? And after you spend some time in prayer or you read the Bible or the Lord just speaks to you and then you, you're focused again. That's why he, again, he taught us how to pray. Our Father who are in heaven, you are not in my circumstances, you are in heaven and I'm coming to you. To the place where you can do the impossible. He has come to restore your vision and my vision. And in my vision to be restored every single day. I can see well. I don't need even glasses. But about every six months or every year I have to go where Lauren works and get my sight checked. You see? This is the best back savers in the world. Because it's the word of God where we can, our vision can be restored. Our spiritual vision, of course. Right? But he has also come to restore your future. When you think that bad things are happening. And you think, that's it. I'm just going to wait here to die. Jesus says, I have the last word. I have conquered death. So, the day that you're going to kick the bucket is when I speak the word. Not before, not after. He has conquered death and he took the keys of death when he died on the cross, when he rose again. That's exactly what he did between dying and raising from the dead. To go and sort out business with that old snake. Hallelujah. The snake that was stepped on. And it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The proto-evangelium, the, pro, the pre-gospel. He said to the woman, you've done a lot of things wrong, Eve. 
and you will pay the consequences, and Adam too. But from you will come one that will step on the head of the serpent. That was Jesus. Hallelujah. When Eve saw no future, God says, there is future. There is a future. There is a future for you and me. You need your vision to be perfected. You need your future to be restored. But you need also your faith to be restored. My faith is not my experiences. My faith is not the things that I have learned in Bible school. The things that I have seen happening in my parents' home or in my own family. My faith has to be based on Jesus Christ and His Word. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your unfailing love. We thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that we can meet here every, every Sunday. And every single Sunday is a reminder as we come together in worship, in public worship, collective worship. You remind us all together that we belong to you and you are our God. That you are not done with us and that you have good plans. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and future. Yes, we have to go through the things that everyone goes through in this world. In this world, we go through sickness and illness and, and um, needs. But Lord, we thank you because we know that you have the last word. It's not over until you say it's over. Hallelujah. When you open a door, no one can shut that door. When you shut a door, no one can open that door. It doesn't matter how qualified and knowledgeable we may think we are. Because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything, all authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth has been given to you. Therefore, you said to the disciples and to us, go and make disciples to all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them everything I taught you. And lo, I'm with you always. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that you are with us always. When we feel it and when we don't feel it, you are with us always. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.